we have to be like a hundred percent all of the time for all of these people it's fucking impossible yeah so if you let go of that all of a sudden there's such freedom in it and then all of a sudden your kids start talking to you about it and then they appreciate it Welcome to the Boss Babe Podcast, a place where we share with you the real behind the scenes of building successful businesses, achieving peak performance, and learning how to balance it all. I'm Natalie Ellis, co-founder and CEO of Boss Babe, and I am joined by a mystery guest. It's me, Danielle Canty, other co-founder of Boss Babe. (laughs) Okay, so I'm obsessed with today's episode. I felt like we really got into it with Tracy. It was incredible. She is phenomenal. Also, can we just talk about how much of a boss she was dressed like? Oh my days. Not only is she so smart, but she freaking loves the part. Now you guys know that Natty's always been a big fan of reality shows and me not so much, except for any involving real estate. And Tracy is one of the few women that appears a million dollar listing. And I was so freaking excited to have her on here. And she rocked up looking stunning. And her fashion sense, even if you watch the show, she always looks amazing. Like, all the time. Well, she doesn't just appear in it. She's the main character. Well, yeah, she is the main character. You're like, she appears in. Yeah, so <laughs> we have one of the main characters of Million Dollar <laughs> Listing, which is a show that Danielle characters. People. I mean, kind of character, right? Do we call them character? No, it's reality. She just shows up as herself. I don't think you do. I don't know. What do I know? I mean, who knows? This is one show that Danielle's tried to get me into. And I've been slower to get on the wagon. I've only watched a a couple of episodes. But I've been following Tracy for a really long time because she is like the epitome of a boss. So I was really, really excited that we got her on the podcast. So I'll give you a bit of a download on Tracy before we dive in. So Tracy Tutor has almost 20 years of experience and is one of the top agents at Douglas Elliman Beverly Hills and is an integral part of their sports and entertainment division. She has an undeniably strong presence and a confidence that has propelled her into the rooms of some of the most powerful people in LA, representing some of the most noteworthy brands in real estate and iconic architects. There is nothing worth knowing about real estate that she doesn't know. And not only do we get into that in this episode, but what I really loved was her complete honesty about being such a strong-minded boss. How, you know, in relationships, that's sometimes a hard dynamic, balancing that masculine and feminine. And and also how to really make sure, like, she is one of the only women on the show and she has a lot of male personalities around her and she really really shows up in such an admirable way and I wanted to know exactly how she does that yeah and also what I love about Tracy is like she's so and this word gets used all the time but like she is really authentic like what you see is what you get and she was so open on this podcast like she just gave it real and raw she didn't hold back and we did we spoke about relationships we spoke about how you go from being uh, like maybe holding such masculine energy and work to what that looks like to go home and how that can affect relationships I know that for me has been a huge challenge in the past and so um just hearing her perspective on that and how she's navigated that was really really interesting and in a conversation in my opinion that's not being had enough you know we're not talking about this enough yeah and it's pretty rare I think that you get someone that you've met for the first time who just turns up to do a podcast and is like you know what if I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it in my own way and I'm gonna really be completely open and honest she really had a tone of wanting to serve when she showed up, she was like, I want women listening to this to really get some breakthroughs and some big things to take away. And you could just tell that's what she was bringing to the table. So I learned so much and I felt like it was a conversation that I've wanted to have for a while, but it just never really came up. So I was so grateful for this. Yeah, totally. Totally. I felt exactly the same. And like I said, it's a very entertaining episode as well. There's, it really is. There's so many, we took it in so many twists and turns, like knowledgeable, but also just talking around like feelings and how those things affect us in work and our home life. So it's a good one. 
Yeah, I love it. Okay, let's dive in. A boss babe is unapologetically ambitious and paves the way for herself and other women to rise, keep going, and fighting on. She is on a mission to be her best self in all areas. It's just believing in yourself. Confidently stepping outside her comfort zone to create her own vision of success. Vision of success. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Well, I'm excited to be here. So I want to kick off with kind of your journey. And I know you've probably told this a lot of times, but specifically, I want to know, was there a point in your career where you felt like things are really taking off for me? Things are I'm starting to get some momentum behind me. All this hard work that I've been putting in is, is really starting to kind of happen for me. Truthfully, I have to start with the show was a big leverage for me and having the 10, 15 years experience under, actually at the time, actually 15 years experience under my belt of hard work, dedication, time, effort, and really just, you know, struggling as a female in the industry. Finally, um, this opportunity came around and I was in sort of the right place in my life to be willing to accept it. You know, I think it was pretty intimidating being a female in a male-dominated cast, and and I think a lot of women sort of turned it down prior to me that, you know, were maybe older or more experienced or, you know, just said, I'm not going down this reality road. This is like a business that we're running. And I think after watching the show for as many seasons as it was on at the time, which was nine, I joined in season 10, I felt comfortable enough in the reality world to say, okay, this isn't going to ruin my career. This show isn't going to be about throwing wine at each other or Mm -hmm. something like that, which, by the way, is quite entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) Big fan. But in fact, it's more it is more business focused. And I've watched these guys kind of come up the ranks much faster than I ever did because of it so I took that leap of faith and so was that your main decision in joining it was that actually you saw it as a way to grow your business you were intentional about doing it that way a hundred percent because again I had been in the business for call it 15 16 years and it had some really great success without it but at what point when I'm measuring my success against my you know the people that are around me, the other agents that I grew up in the business with, some of them men, some of them women, um, either not having as much success as I am, or, you know, in most cases, most of the men that I grew up in the business with were exceeding uh, my income. This is really exciting for me to have you on here because I've watched the show for years and you're very unapologetic in your ambition and like who you are as well. And I'm really curious as to like, you know, how that journey started for you. Have you always been very, very driven and been like, right, I want to be very successful in my business? Or is that something that came later in life for you after you had your own children, etc.? So when did that start? I think I just was born unapologetic. <laughs> I can relate, you know. <laughs> but but I do think it took a certain amount of experience and growth and failure and all of it in business to get to a place where I became unapologetic about business. Uh, you know, I think in life, you know, I know what my gut is and I stick by it most of the time and now maybe 100% of the time, but in my earlier years I didn't. And so for me, that turning point was when you see yourself transitioning into sort of the public knowledge and my name becoming sort of synonymous with, you know, guys like Josh Flagg or Josh Altman and being the only female on the show and all of a sudden having all of this attention. It was a moment where I said, oh, my God, I really have to wrap my head around owning that and being unapologetic more often because that was an expectation that I think not only the show had of me, because they wanted me to be able to stand next to these guys. Little did they know I had a lot more to say than they thought. <laughs> but, you know, I think at the time they were concerned. Like, only female on the show. Can she hold her own? Like, we need to make sure she's a boss. And I remember in that first season having that pressure of sort of figuring that out. And it was tough because there was a sort of this cross between, you know, showing your feminine side and, you know, being vulnerable, but also, you know, being a boss at the same time. And that's that's something I've struggled with, you know, in my personal life a lot. I mean, I won't say it was the cause of my divorce, but it certainly played into my success and my ambition 
certainly has played into my interpersonal relationships. So, you know, magnify that by 100 on a TV show and, you know, people's perception of you then becomes reality. And can we talk about that a little? Because I actually don't feel like it's talked about enough about being a strong, ambitious woman in, in a relationship where perhaps you're the breadwinner and finding a guy that's comfortable with that or meeting you there. I know for me, it's been a big conversation and it's been, and me and my husband have had to do a lot of work on it because when we met, the dynamic was very different and all of a sudden it changed and it was this discomfort that we had to get used to. And I also hear you on, you know, the feminine energy, the more masculine energy and, and the two of them together are so powerful, but knowing how to leverage both in certain situations is hard. Well, I think it's very difficult for women, particularly successful women, to switch between the feminine and the masculine. Like we struggle so much between wanting to show what innately is is who we are and 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 being feminine, but we were taught that that's how we had to be. And in order to be in the business world, you have to be masculine. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden you're losing a little bit of that feminine side and then you become a bitch or you know, now it's boss, you know, is the more, you know, kind term, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm okay with bitch. And, you know, I think once you kind of get comfortable with that and sort of redefine what that really means, then, you know, in your own language, you can begin to sort of navigate it in relationships. And I think, you know, in my marriage, it was difficult because uh, I always had earned more than my husband but was incredibly supportive of his aspirations, efforts in business, his own entrepreneurship, and, and always stood behind him in that way um, and tried to let him feel like the man in the relationship. But then I kind of woke up after my divorce and I was like, why are we defining this so much? Why is there so much importance on the masculine and the feminine in a marriage that is supposed to kind of be able to innately shift between the two. I mean, traditionally, no, but I mean, look where we're sitting. We're in a Boss Babe podcast, you know, talking about exactly that, like our traditional roles versus where we are now. And I'm just, I'm not really interested in that. So I'm in a relationship now where I'm recognizing that I still have those same, even though he is significantly younger than me, I still have those same challenges, but in like a different way. He's very supportive of what of what I do for a living and very supportive of my career. But I also have to like remind myself that there's the soft and the hard and kind of going back and forth between the two can sometimes be challenging. Yeah, I'm really curious as how this is all gonna evolve because you know, traditionally, if you think around, like particularly the books that we were brought up as children, right? I remember reading like, it was like Peter and Jane at school or Chip, like Biff, Chip and Kipper in the UK. And it was like these <laughs> traditional families with these traditional models of doing things. And that's dramatically shifted as it should have. But it's like that whole concept around like, you do what you see and being able to like, see interpretations of how a life should be carried out or what a family should look like. And now that has completely changed and I think there's ways around there's like it's learning for all of us I say learning with like different dynamics like how we're like expected or we want to be perceived at home or show up or the energies that we want to bring it's like you know we're in this place right now where we get to create the rules and in creating that it's kind of a challenge because it's like oh I'm not sure what this looks like and I know for me as well like I've had that same experience like my grew up my mum and dad and a very traditional my mum my dad always and more than my mum they were together for the like since they were 17 and 18 like I admired what I saw in my relationships and then I got to an age like actually this isn't what I want to create or was seeing. I think a lot of people are getting to that point whether, you know, whether it's sexuality or gender or relationships. And I think we're all in this process of figuring it out and still facing those challenges no matter what age we're at and how we reflect on them. Well, it's also, you know, I mean, about the, the fight for equality and pay. Mm -hmm. And obviously in the workplace, there is a gigantic discrepancy between what men and women make. I mean, I had this discussion literally two weeks ago with a friend of mine in Hollywood who's quite powerful on a very important show and said that all the writers on this particular show are men with the exception of one woman. And this one woman make is significantly talented, 
has been, doesn't have the tenure, maybe, just as in my shoes, does not have the tenure that, say, Josh Altman has, but dare I say, adds as much value to the show or to this particular TV show that I give to MDLA. So he said, we were analyzing pay and they don't want to offer her equal to what she is. And mm -hmm. I said, you know, for a, a community like Hollywood who speaks up more than anyone, or at least in my opinion, has a whole lot of fucking to say about mm -hmm. how everybody manages themselves, to be in that environment, be the only woman on a, on a male-dominated, very successful TV show and not be able to make, as the female, equal to what Crazy. they are making, not more, maybe even slightly less because they don't have the tenure that maybe some of the senior writers have, but nowhere near. Wow. And to me, that is a gigantic problem. So while we're fighting for this sort of equality in the workforce, we have to be a boss. We have to be aggressive. We have to be better, not equal to, but yeah. better than the man that we're sitting next to and 10 steps ahead. But then the transition of that also, you know, being able to showcase sort of your feminine side and being able to navigate a boardroom like that or a conversation like that that makes you incredibly uncomfortable and be able to have, uh, be able to shift it, right? And I think that's the power that we have as females that we don't access enough is the shift between sort of the masculine and the feminine. And when you are a boss, I think that's sort of, you know, that's in you, right? Yeah. And that piece is the easy part. But going between the two and utilizing both sides of yourself is where I think we struggle and therefore in our interpersonal relationships have a little bit of a more challenging time. At the end of the day, you know, there still is the white picket fence that people want with 2.5 kids and the wedding and the walk down the aisle and the whole nine yards. Mm. Have you found like certain strategies that like you have leveraged to switch between those? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I do a lot of, uh, when I struggle with something or I struggle with an interpersonal relationship or even a colleague at work, I will sometimes craft an email immediately. Like I will write it down. And as I'm writing it down, I'm getting like more annoyed or mm. angrier. <laughs> and I'm getting out that masculine energy. And as I'm getting out all of that intense energy on paper, I then put it away and I stop and then I read it an hour later. Then I add to it and then I put it away and I come back to it three hours later. And throughout the course of the day or however long it takes me to kind of get there, by the time I come back to it and I'm ready to sort of deal with it, I never let it take too long because I believe in sort of honoring like the moment yeah. um, and not waiting. Uh, I'm able to sort of shift whether I need to sort of approach it from a more feminine side or a masculine side. I happened to me just today. So I haven't spoken the words yet. I will speak them later. But you know, in the meantime, I've sort of crafted a big fucking <laughs> note. And, and it's funny when you go back and you read it even sometimes two hours later, and I guarantee you after this podcast, I'll go back and you know look at it again and I'll have a completely different perspective on how to approach it just because of our conversation. Yeah, it's funny, um, I was chatting to Chris Voss, you know, the FBI negotiator, and he was saying that um, one technique that he does with emails is he talks about like, he'll say, oh, traditionally you always do like the shit sandwich, like the bad thing at the beginning, no, like the good thing, then the bad thing, and then try and finish on a good note. And he was like, I, I believe in like ripping off the Band-Aid. So you just go in straight away with like what the problem is. I'm with him. Yeah. But he's like, then, like, you, at the end, you, like, really, um, he's like, you always want to leave a good tone in their mouth. So even if you're parting ways or even if, like, something has not been fully resolved, he's like, the best people in business always think about their aftertaste. So, like, you get the harsh bit out of the way, but then think about the aftertaste of the last sentence and how you can make that, so they're leaving it, but I'm like, okay, that was actually fair and firm and I know where I stand and that it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel unclean afterwards. And that was like a really good perspective because I'm always like, oh, like being too like not like kind of pussyfooting around in the email. And he was like, no, just rip the bandaid off. Right. I actually, I actually agree with that. Mm. And it's, I, I do think as women, if you craft a strongly worded email, it's perceived differently if it comes from a woman versus a man. 
like where people might think a man's being more like direct like what you said they probably think a woman's being more aggressive or bitchy or emotional uh-huh and that's that's difficult too i think you also as a woman that's something you consider you're like do i give a fuck right now how i'm being perceived do i need to change it up and it's such a dance to get used to Let's take a minute to talk about one of my favorite educational platforms, Masterclass. I have been referring back to this platform for years and I love that you can simply log in and take inspirational classes from world-class coaches no matter where you are. If you haven't explored Masterclass yet, go to masterclass.com slash boss babe and scroll through some of the categories. I think you'll really love what you see. One of the latest classes I tuned into was Anna Winter's class on creativity and leadership. She takes you into her office as Vogue's editor-in-chief and it was so inspiring to learn about her leadership style, team culture, and how she encourages creativity in her team. Not only does Masterclass have tangible business development classes that you can watch at your desk or listen to on the go, but it also includes classes in 10 other categories ranging from food, home and lifestyle, music, wellness, design and so much more. There are over 200 classes to choose from with new classes added every month. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Plus, Every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash boss babe. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash boss babe, masterclass.com slash boss babe. Let's take a quick pause to talk about my new favorite all-in-one platform, Kajabi. You know I've been singing their praises lately because they have helped our business run so much smoother and with way less complexity, which I love. Not to mention our team couldn't be happier because now everything is in one place. So it makes collecting data, creating pages, collecting payment, all the things so much simpler. One of our mottos at Boss Babe is simplify to amplify and Kajabi has really helped us do that this year. So of course I needed to share it here with you. It's the perfect time of year to do a bit of spring cleaning in your business, you know? Get rid of the complexity and instead really focus on getting organized and making things as smooth as possible. I definitely recommend Kajabi to all of my clients and students. So if you're listening and haven't checked out Kajabi yet, now is the perfect time to do so because they are offering Boss Babe listeners a 30-day free trial. Go to kajabi.com slash boss babe to claim your 30 day free trial. That's kajabi.com slash boss babe. Well, what's wrong with being emotional? Like, I hate that too. Like that, the whole idea that emotion doesn't drive success. It's like where it all begins, what we're passionate about, what makes us tick, what makes you cry, what makes you laugh. It's the beginning of everything. So why would we let go of that instinct for what? I think it's like, to hold us back. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, there does come a time where you have to manipulate that a little bit. And that's why I believe in sort of writing when I when I'm flustered about how to approach something, I put it in writing and I put it on paper with zero intent to send Mm -hmm. with intent to confront. And I believe that like confronting live and being in the moment and talking to someone and looking them in the eye says a lot about a person then follow it up with an email Mm -hmm. (laughs) per our conversation you know (laughs) but i do believe in leading with word and i think we get so sucked in in today's world with like digital communication which does lack emotional response and and there's room for it to be interpreted in so many different ways and so for me i feel like the like speaking is so much more effective Mm. like you obviously have had some like elements of confrontation on the show at various points like nothing compared to some pieces here and there have you watched any of the shows back and learned or, like reflected on it and like oh i could have handled that better or actually i handled that really well or have you learned pieces around your personality that you've kind of allowed like have changed you from watching or being part of the show <sighs> That's interesting. I mean, there there aren't too many times that I would go back and say, I wish I could change that for a variety of reasons. You know, in, in my first season on the show, I sat with my now ex-husband and at a lunch and we discussed the, the age of my daughter, which that episode was produced 
as if I got my daughter's age wrong. And yeah. what everybody didn't realize was then reported in the next episode that my husband was actually incorrect. And I was incredibly emotional in that scene because I was so, um, you know, thrown, up, thrown over the coals, raked over yeah. the coals for that matter, by my ex-husband that I couldn't get out of my own way. But looking back at it now, would I change it? Would I be less emotional? I don't think so. I mm -hmm. think it was sort of a defining moment for me in our separation and also, you know, his lack of respect for me at the time um, as a mother and a career woman. So that's really the only time that stands out as being a moment that I feel like I think I often go back to it and say, would I change anything? And the mm -hmm. truth is, I don't think I would. And speaking of the show, so obviously you already had a successful career before you got into the show and you went into the show to be able to build your business even more. But I'm curious, being on a show, is that like another full-time job on top of an already full-time job? Or is it so integrated in your life that it's less? <laughs> no, it's definitely another full-time job. Give yeah. me the inside tip, or the inside not tips, but inside look on what it's really like filming a show. Like how how does that play into your day-to-day -day life? I, it's constant. I mean, it requires an enormous amount of my time outside of what I do. Now you have to remember, it's not like we just surprise people and walk through the front door of their homes. <laughs> like there's an immense amount of work behind the scenes that leads up to one of my properties appearing on the show or one of my clients appearing on the show. There's there's phone calls, there's meetings, there's contracts that you name it like what we go through to, to get people to feel comfortable luckily we have a you know a, a great reputation for you know consistently not scaring people away from being a part of it um, and it's been a really good experience for I think almost every single client I, I have had but it adds anywhere from 15 to 25 hours a week um, to my already existing 60-hour-a-week job. Wow. And how many days do you film? Like, how many It months? varies because we, we're following actual property. But I think what separates our show from, you know, so many other shows that shoot in maybe an 8-week or 12-week or 16-week period of time, we pretty much shoot, <laughs> we're hoping, for 10 months <laughs> this year. Wow. But the last three years have been 12, so okay. year-round. And then the show starts airing and maybe you get, you know, a month off, but you're doing press. Yeah. So you're never really off. So it's time and a half is what I like to call it. I have my full-time job and then um, sort of another job outside of that. Because the way that shows make it look is as though you're like doing your day-to-day -day job. You're just going out about your business and the show's there just filming it. But it seems like so much of that is already done ahead of time. So it probably slows you down with a lot of your day-to-day -day job. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I have to, you know, I have to leave what I am doing for several hours and put my phone down and not respond to certain clients and have my either my partner or one of my team members be on top of all of my emails and my phone so that I can do this show, which ultimately brings me more business. So, you know, there's the trade off, you know, you are working a lot harder, but you are you know, this, this show has the ability to deliver me a much bigger business. So that's ultimately the trade-off. And I think, you know, when that carrot was dangled in front of me when I was turning 40 years old, I thought to myself, it's now or never. You know, I can either grab this and run with it, or I can just continue on my merry little path. And I felt like 15 years into it, I should be more successful. And this was my one opportunity to kind of take a chance and do it. And it's obviously served me well. Okay, so I want to talk really quickly about something I've absolutely been loving lately. It's called a CGM, which if you don't know, is just a little device that allows you to monitor your blood glucose levels continuously. It's totally non-intrusive, and I honestly forget it's even there most of the time. But I started using one, and it has become a total game changer for me, and an absolutely essential part of my daily routine, because I started utilizing it to understand my hormones and my skin. So how it works is it tracks how your body 
responds to different foods, which means you can make better decisions about the food that you eat and really see how different things affect your body in real time. Understanding this then allows you to track the foods and the impact that they have on your hormones and then your energy levels, which for example for me has then allowed me to understand the shifts that I need to make in my normal routine. So if you want to learn more about how foods affect your health and your metabolic rate, Natty actually just did an episode with the founder of the CGM that we both use called Levels and her name is Dr. Casey Means and her and Natalie actually deep dove into all the things surrounding this subject and it's absolutely fascinating episode. It's number 160. If you're a beginner and you're like, hang on a minute, I want to know more what Natalie and Danielle are talking about, definitely, definitely tune this into this episode. So check that episode out and I actually have an exclusive link for you that will give you backdoor entries so that you'll be able to subscribe to Levels sooner rather than later because it's actually not available to the public yet but we've actually become so obsessed with it. We were like, please give us a link to share with our audience because Natalie and I know what it's like to suffer from hormonal and energy problems firsthand so we wanted you guys to have this. So check that out. You're going to find it in the show notes. Without further ado, let's get back into the episode. What's been one of the hardest parts of being on the show? Definitely being the only female on the show has been very challenging. I'm really happy because they just brought a new character to Million Dollar character, a new <laughs> agent to Million Dollar Listing New York, Kirsten Jordan, and she's great. And um, she's an incredible woman. And we've been talking over the course of the year while she's been shooting mm -hmm. and I've sort of mentored her a little bit on you know, navigating being the only female on the show. I know. Why is that? I was saying to Natalie when we were on our way here, I'm like, you know. Why is anything? Is why are they, you know. Lead. And thank goodness you are. And, you know, the whole thing around, like, <laughs> the drama in front of the guys on there creates so much drama. Like, women get all this reputation and it's not. Like, I feel like you're the most professional on there. <laughs> Wow. I mean, I'm definitely, I definitely bring it when I, when I need to. Um, I think m more often than not, they get a little nervous to confront me on camera because I'm so The Joshes, <laughs> their little feud cracks me up, the Joshes. Well, they're now, they've, you know, definitely come I to know. terms with their, their little cute friendships. So I love them both separately. Um, they're very, very different guys, but also, you know, we've all grown up a little bit yeah. too. I think you know, Josh Flagg has grown up. I think people forget that he's pretty young and he yeah. got into the business pretty young. And, and Altman now has got, you know, two babies, two. is married, he's a great dad. He's like he blossomed into like a little bit less of a, you know, shark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was tough, you know? He was kind of like the ass, you know, on the, on the show. Oh, we loved him for it. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, someone's gotta be the bad guy. <laughs> And how has it been for your daughters seeing you on oh, TV? Yeah, I want to hear about that. Oh, this. man. I mean, listen, they were on the first season with me. And then during the divorce, Jason and I made the decision that it, they shouldn't do the show. And then, of course, I lightened up that restriction. And he did not for mm -hmm. a few seasons. And this will be actually the first season that my daughter will appear on the show, my eldest maybe my little one towards the end, but they love it. They know what my struggle is because I talk about it all the time on podcasts like this, yeah. like sort of the juggle of, you know, doing what I do for a living and, you know, trying to be a single mom and, and raise my two girls and send them to schools that, you know, I want them to be at and give them life that I think that they deserve. So um, navigating not necessarily being the PTA mom or the soccer mom that I used to beat myself up about all the time, I've given up on because I'm so outspoken about my struggle and not being perfect that my kids sort of think I'm this independent. I got a Mother's Day card from Scarlett yesterday. I mean, literally almost killed me, like tears. Oh. And she was like, you are the most, you know, my teacher asked us the other day in class who, you know, who we admire most in the world. And I admire you. And everybody else had like an astronaut or whatever. And, and Scarlett was like, you know, you're my idol. That's so, so beautiful. It is. And I think it's important. I want, I want my girls to, to know and feel that this, you know, what we're doing as young women in business and, and what they're doing as, you know, little feminists in the making is, you know, important. 
And, you know, seeing me sort of, you know, do the non-traditional route of raising my teenage girls, um, having a younger boyfriend, doing things how, how I see fit, not how mm. society or my friends or anyone with any kind of judgment sees appropriate, but how I do. And I think that's really important. Like, it's kind of like what I was saying at the beginning. Like, we get to, like break down the stereotypes like we get to like get rid of those in so many different ways and I know lots of women listening to this you know um are working mums and trying to balance it all and you know that is a real struggle for so many so I think like you know you just sharing like you kind of own the things that you're good at and maybe the things that you like struggle with and make does that is that what gives you that bit more inner peace it does a hundred percent I think the second that moms like take it easy on themselves a little bit and I remember the first time I like screwed up at school, I called the head of, of my little one's school and I said, I just can't do this anymore. I can't float that I can be parent of the year and show up to every single game and every, like I, it's just not possible. And I'm not serving them the way that I know they need to be served. They're 12 years old and 15 years old. And right now what they need is time with me alone to talk about things like, puberty to talk about things like boyfriend out of school kind of gave me permission to not yeah. respond to every email to 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 and to not feel so apologetic or guilty or shitty about it like that's the part i hate i hate that we have to be like a hundred percent all of the time for all of these people it's fucking impossible yeah so totally. if you let go of that all of a sudden there's such freedom in it. And then all of a sudden your kids start talking to you about it and then they appreciate it. And by the way, they're fabulous little people. It's not like they're like <laughs> spinning out or doing drugs or drinking alcohol or having sex. They're like getting straight A's. They're completely <laughs> independent. Like they have opinions about things that are important. I don't need to be on the sidelines with a rah-rah you know, sign to make me feel valid as a mom. And I'm sorry. I really fully believe that. And the first time that the head of school, who was a female, said to me, she goes, Tracy, let me assure you, you not being at the volleyball game makes a zero difference to her. <laughs> and the conversations that you are having with her at home are exactly why she is becoming the young woman that she's becoming. So stop beating yourself up. I mean, my Scarlet, the other day, not the other day, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago in school, there was a little boy who there's, it's a gay family, two gay dads. And um, there's also a couple of lesbian parents that are in uh, my daughter's grade. And there were some kids that were talking about heterosexual sex versus homosexual sex. Scarlett got incredibly uncomfortable with it because one of the kids that was in the class with the parent was sitting next to her. So she just got up and marched right into the head of school and said, I'm not okay with this. This is not, you know, behavior that I think the school tolerates. And we got an email saying we've never seen like a sixth grade kid just walk in and then call in the kids and one by one call them out. And when they said, we didn't say that, she said, yes, you did. Wow look us in the eye and tell us you did not say that and she made them own it mm -hmm. and that's the kind of kid i want to raise yeah. so you know if she might not be like have a parent at the volleyball game but if she's standing up for the kids that you know then i'm doing something right yeah and it's like where did that pressure come from that parents need to be at every game and doing xyz and giving their entire well life the moms do yeah they all go the dads don't yeah but mm -hmm. the moms do and like what it, it blows my mind and I think that's also probably you know so ingrained in us subconsciously like I'm thinking about starting a family right now and already it's popping up for me like is is this expected of me do I need to slow down do I need to do less of this and and I, my husband doesn't think about any of that and I notice it coming up for me and I'm like wow I really need to change the narrative I have around that because I'm noticing it's just there subconsciously yeah yeah, and it's, it's, there's, I think, I'm luckily I have a group of incredible heterosexual and homosexual men around me that sort of don't define that experience at all. And so I'm lucky to have like a really strong male support system in that environment around those discussions. But I, but I can't help but obviously go back to my own, the same experience that you have. It, it is a subconscious thing that we do to ourselves. And I just think, 
you know, particularly being successful in business, it just sort of drives that point home even more. Yeah, and from the girls being little, were you always super ambitious and really wanted a career and had to, I'm, I'm assuming it was harder to get to a place where you were okay with doing both in your own way? No, I, I don't, I, I was always ambitious, but I definitely think there were years where I was less focused on work and more focused on the kids and really more caught up in what my own ideas were about parenting and and making sure that I was walking that line exactly as I was supposed to. And then I don't know, I just woke up. Maybe it was the divorce, maybe it was, um, I think probably a reevaluation of my entire life and how I was navigating the decisions that I was making. You know, I think when your decisions come from within, good, bad, or ugly, you can always stand by them. But when they come from out, outlier sources, or someone else's version of your story, then it makes it very difficult to stand by what you what you believe, because it's not your belief, it's yeah. someone else's. And they told you, and you were like, oh, okay, if I do this, then they'll be successful. If I take marriage this way, then we'll last. And the truth is, that's an outside perspective of, of the life that you're living. So how the heck can you stand by that? You can only stand by what your own truth is. So true. And I think like just even just listening to that intuition, I think, you know, we've had several women on the podcast who have shared the same thing. It's like, well, often you can kind of go through years of not really listening to that gut instinct or this like feeling that sometimes you just have and you ignore it for whatever reason. But most of the people who we've had on who have gone to be super successful has been those ones who have said, like, I literally just started listening to my gut started listening to what was mattering, mattering to me inside my heart versus, like you say, the external narrative from other people or society. Because um, like you said, then you can like stick by it. Then it's like your stronger why, you can connect with it. Right, and then it becomes easier to be authentic in a room like this, anywhere, in a business meeting, in your personal relationships, because if you're only speaking your own truth, not some outside narrative, People understand it more. They connect to it more because it's completely authentic to your experience. And I've found that every single time that I do that, both in relationships or conversations I have with my current boyfriend or my ex-husband or, you know, uh, my colleagues at work, it's the same experience over and over. If I speak my truth and just come from that place only, there's always some sort of meeting of the minds or better understanding. Mm, I love that so much. Okay, so I have to ask, we're obsessed with knowing people's routines and rituals, things they do that really set them up for success. And given how much you accomplish in any given day, <laughs> yeah. we need to know everything. How busy you are. <laughs> well, I should start with it ends with either a tequila or a glass of wine, most nights. <laughs> but sometimes that's not until 9 or 10. But most of the time, I wake up in the morning, I set my alarm for 6, Usually out of bed by 6.15, I am drinking my celery juice, usually 16 ounces. Um, I carry a lot of stress in my gut. That's where it goes mm. for me. So taking care of that um, with like drinking this juice has been like life changing for me. You've noticed difference drinking celery juice? Oh, 100%. Wow. Mm -hmm. I feel um, like it. I feel like I'm going to have to try this. Everyone keeps talking about celery juice. It made juice. me well, listen, myself it... like crazy for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the way, I'm not mad at that. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean you definitely <laughs> want to drink it first thing in yeah. the morning. And don't have plans to go out for like 15 minutes after. <laughs> oh my God, this I was so good stay above board on that but now <laughs> since we're getting into it yes like first thing stay at home drink your coffee then I'm on you know then I'm in the gym and I'm doing I'm doing emails and I'm sort of following up with my team in the morning this is around seven okay. and then by 7 30 I'm literally shutting off the phone for 45 minutes to an hour and I'm doing like my actual workout where I actually get the energy out that I need to get off the table good bad or ugly and like th by the end of that, then I'm ready to move forward into the next phase of the day, which then is outreach to my clients. So I always start with taking care of me in the morning. It's the only way, in my opinion, that I can get my head square so that I can you know, deal with the enormous amount of personalities I deal with on a daily basis. So you go to the gym, you get any emails off so you know there's no fires burning, you work out for 45, 45 minutes? 45 minutes to an hour and after then... being on, 
-hmm. doing some sort of cardio treadmill or I'm email the whole time and calls. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, because I'm not, I don't, I don't, at my age, (laughs) no, (laughs) when I, I don't do, I don't run, I don't do any of that shit anymore. I literally get on the treadmill. I'll put it at like somewhere between a 3.5 and a seven varying for like 30 to 45 minutes. And I just burn fat and mm-hmm. talk on the phone and, you know, talk to my my own inner my team. Yeah. And then I'm I'm responding and looking at emails and getting and then I that's what I, and then right after that I shut it off and, and then I really work out and I push up weight or I, you know, do Pilates or whatever it is that I'm doing and I do that for forty five minutes to an hour. So and then you go back, finish off kinda of getting ready for the day, you're then following up externally. Yeah, usually I'm going, you know, if it's a if it's a client day or a million dollar listing shooting day, um, I am immediately back in front of my computer. Um, like I sometimes I'm I'm scheduled to the minute. Wow. Um, so I have calls, I have color coded calendars and every half hour that, you know, it was like, well, what's my heart out today? I had a potential call at 3.30. I needed to see if I was going to run late to that. My schedule is constantly moving with cancellations, you know, fluctuations with showings, et cetera. So that's the one thing that I think is sort of difficult in our business is it's a constant moving target. And so if you don't have communication, consistent communication, um, and get out in front of it. You you have to schedule down to every fifteen minutes. Um, and I I don't eat lunch rarely. Um, Do you I, eat breakfast after your salary? Uh, sometimes okay. it depends on my workout. If I have a very heavy workout, I'll get a smoothie. Breakfast doesn't really do it for me. I'm allergic to eggs. What am I going to eat? <laughs> Pancakes? Like it was like it's a waste of my time. So I skip that. I skip breakfast for the most part. And if I eat lunch, it's on the fly. Like I literally will drive, be driving and eating. Um, or I will buy chicken that is already sliced. Yeah. I mean, I've been known at 10 a.m. to throw back like five breasts of chicken and just keep it moving. <laughs> For I'm purposes so like just sharing this stuff, like feed, I don't have time for this shit. Yeah. Like who has to, unless I am meeting like a potential client for lunch to talk about a potential deal. Like I'm not like I'm not. I, but gone is the day of the ladies that lunch. Like <laughs> I wish I could. I would love to be the lady that lunches. I used to when I like again was a little bit more of the mommy world. Now if it doesn't serve me in business, I don't have time. Yeah. Um, and so lunch turns into like I said some sort of gross version of <laughs> to go in the car moment. And then it's showings and calls and, you know, strategy um, about price reductions or how we're going to get something sold or how we're going to avoid being fired. And all I do is put out fires all day long until usually about 6.30 when I am finally back at my desk. And then I'm answering emails and wrapping up the evening. And then I have some time with my daughters around 7.30 on. I want to ask you a quick question on this because one thing I'm hearing a lot throughout this podcast is like making a lot of decisions. So making decisions as a mother, making decisions like, you know, putting out fires, things that are coming up. How do you counter against decision fatigue? Oh, that's a real thing. Because I feel like it really is. And I know like normally we kind of like rounding up when we're talking about routines and stuff. But I'm like, no, I need to ask you, like, how are you making this many decisions in a day? Because I feel like one, it's like being a business owner, but then adding in being a mother to this as well. And like, wow. I, I have to say I'm a very good decision maker. Mm-hmm. I just took, I to add insult to injury, I bought another house and I took on a full remodel that I have to get done in the next four months. So if I'm still with my boyfriend at the end of this four months, it'll be a miracle. (laughs) But, (laughs) oh my God. Um, So that's like job number three. But um, I do think that decisions is a big piece of where we all get like stuck because we're afraid, afraid to take that risk. And that's where your gut comes in, right? So if you don't start from there, you're screwed. You will go round and round and round and round. And I was, what made, made me think what you just said of a, a discussion I had with my business partner, Gina, about uh, uh, someone that is on our team who we were just trying to decipher where to where we feel he f- fits best and how we can utilize him and the way that we know he's so talented. And we just kept going round and round. And finally this morning she was like, we have to make a decision 
uh, I, I said, I just made it. We're done with this conversation. Like, we're propelling him forward, and this is how it's going to be, and we're not talking about it again. Yeah. And that was it. And I was like, I cannot have one more discussion about it. Yeah. We need to be done. Um, and so I think sort of having a little bit less fear around yeah. our decisions and a little more trust um, is a big piece of it. Do you know what I think that comes down to, again, is that I think this kind of ties up neatly in a bow. It's like being comfortable with yourself you know like saying okay owning the pieces that you're good at owning the pieces that you are like maybe not so good at and owning the decisions that you make and you know what 70% are going to be great decisions 30% they probably were I could have made a better decision at the time but I made a decision at that point and I am okay with that and I think that's been the biggest thing for me I was like I've learned to be a good decision maker you right know? And it's like, that's one of the biggest things that I've had to overcome is like sometimes letting go of the perfection of the outcome, you know, feeling like I have to get it perfect each time when yeah. you don't sometimes just like say, need to make a decision, you're moving forward through that and hopefully it's going to be the best one. If not, you're making another decision to course correctly down the line. Well, right. And I think it's planning for that too. I think yeah. knowing what you're capable of and knowing what you're not capable of is where it starts. And that's yeah. where I think a lot of people screw up. Mm. Everybody's like, oh, I can what do you if, if you start with what are you good at and what are you not you'd be surprised how many yeah. people can name maybe one or the other but never both they'll be like I'm very strong at interpersonal communications you're like great break that down for me <laughs> like what the fuck does that mean and then but then they can't name what they don't necessarily know how to do very well um, oh, I'm a perfectionist. That's right. my downfall. All the time you hear that, you're like, come on. That's like the biggest job interview snafu. When someone says yeah. they're a perfectionist to me in an interview, I'm like, you're out. Yeah, I'm like, this isn't Because, by the way, you're either setting yourself to be a, a great interview and then not, and then not follow through with that, or you're so difficult on yourself that you can't even get past the decision part. So yeah. I, perfection is boring to me. Um, but I do think uh, the decision piece is really a big, big part of what makes sort of the difference between getting through every single day and to the end of the week and then to the end of the month, quarter. <laughs> if you looked at the year as a whole, it's too overwhelming. You just have to go like day by day, week by week. and Yeah, we had that conversation yesterday. We're just going to get through tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, our team were like... On the third week of this month, I was like, I, I know what I'm doing today, and I know what I'm doing tomorrow, and then we'll face that part That's good enough to us right now. <laughs> right, and I know what I'm doing until 3 o'clock, and then I'll look at my calendar <laughs> yeah. and see what yeah. call I have to be on at 3.15, and I'll prep for that. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know? Totally. I love that. Tracy, thank you so thank much you. for being on here. Of course. Where can everyone find you? Well, you can Google me. No. <laughs> TracyTutor.com and uh, at TracyTutor on all social channels. Um, and, of course, the premiere of Million Dollar Listing is coming this summer, which is going to be incredibly exciting season because you will see a lot more, I think, of my personal life this season, which Ooh. haven't really been a part of, mm. you know, seasons past. So I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing that sort of feminine side. I'm excited. Thank yes. you. Thanks. Thank you so much.